session. If you would like to learn more about OJ Tokes, please visit his website, ojtokes.com. That is O J T as in Tom, O K as in Kite, S as in Steve.com, ojtokes.com. Enjoy the message. Here is OJ Tokes. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for another opportunity to come before you this night, Father God. I ask that you open our hearts to heed your word, open our eyes to perceive your word, open our ears to hear your word, open our minds to understand your word. Show us great and mighty things that we do not know and help us apply them to our lives. I come against any spiritual force that will try to inhibit, interrupt, or hold back anyone from receiving from you tonight, Father God. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to apply your words to our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's a story that gives a vivid picture of how God can use rejection in a relationship to get you to a better relationship. There's a story that helps us realize that a disappointment in one relationship can be an appointment for a better relationship. This story is applicable in different ways. It's significant in different ways. And the story is found in John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. John chapter 8, 1 to 11. And it's the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. Of course, a lot of you are familiar with the story. Um, The story speaks on so many levels, and it has a lot of significance to different people at different times. But the story kind of gives a picture of how God can use rejection to get you from one relationship that is not right, that is not the best for you, to a better relationship. A lot of you know the story already. The Bible says there were a bunch of Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They grabbed a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And they brought her before Jesus to stone her to death. They said the law says she should be stoned to death. And they asked Jesus, what do you say? And of course, you know, Jesus initially ignored them, wrote on the ground. And Jesus stood up and said, any of you who haven't had Any of you who has not sinned should cast the first stone. And of course, they walked away. But that story is a picture, is an overview of how getting scratched out from one relationship could land you in a better relationship. And this is the picture I want to paint. This woman, for whatever reason, was in the wrong place, the place she was caught in the act of adultery. She was with the wrong man, the man that she committed adultery with, and she was doing the wrong thing, adultery. Rejection came in the form of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and grabbed her from the wrong man, from the wrong place, from the wrong thing, and dragged her to the right place, the temple courts, to the right man, Jesus, to do the right thing, repent. Now, rejection did not know that that's what it was doing. But what happened for that woman? They were trying to kill her. Death is the worst form of rejection. When someone wants to kill you, when someone wants to take you out, It's like they're saying you're not fit to live. We don't want you to even exist. The rejection brought her to the temple courts, church, pretty much. Brought her to the man that she really needed, Jesus. And it enabled her to find the freedom that she needed. That's a picture. That's an overview of how God can use rejection to get us in the right relationship. Let me dig deeper into this. I want to share two stories, one for the ladies and one for the guys. I'm going to start with the ladies first. 
to encourage any one of you that has experienced being scratched out of a relationship, being turned down, being overlooked. I want to use these stories to kind of encourage you tonight. So the first story is for the ladies. And the story is found in the book of Ruth. Some of you are familiar with the story of Ruth. If you haven't read Ruth, I encourage you to read her story. It's in four chapters. An overview of the story, there was a guy named Elimelech. He had a wife named Naomi, and they had two sons, Malon and Kilion. They were Israelites. They lived in Israel. Unfortunately, there was a famine, and the famine caused Elimelech to take his wife, Naomi, and his sons, Malon and Kilion, to Moab. While they were in Moab, the sons, Malon and Kilion, married Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. It's my understanding that the name Orpah is where we get the name Oprah. Um, they mispronounced her name and they switched the P and the R. So instead of Orpah, which apparently was what she was called, they turned it to Oprah. Nevertheless, Orpah and Ruth were the Moabite women that the sons of Elimelech married. I have read books and I've heard prominent pastors and ministers say that Kilion was Ruth's husband. I don't know why. Um, I'm wondering if it's because of the way they are listed in the story. Because usually in scripture, they usually list the eldest first. So they mention Malon, then Kilion, which lets you know that Malon was the older brother. Then they mention Orpah and Ruth, which suggests that Orpah was older than Ruth. So chances are people read that and think when the Bible says Malon and Kilion married Orpah and Ruth. If you follow that sequence, it looks like Kilion was Ruth's husband. But Ruth chapter 4 verse 10 makes it clear that Malon was Ruth's husband. Nevertheless, Elimelech, Naomi, Malon, and Kilion, they moved to Moab and they lived there for a while. Unfortunately, Elimelech died, Malon died, Kilion died. So Naomi was left with her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. Later on, she discovered that things were better in Israel, and they decided to go back to Israel. And she, the ladies, Orpah and Ruth, wanted to go back with her. She told them, do not go back with me. God has been uh, mistreated me. There's nobody else for you to marry. Just stay back and marry again. She was able to convince Orpah to go back, but Ruth stuck with her. And some of you know the popular phrase, I want your people to be my people. I want to go where you go. Only death can separate us, me from you. So Naomi relented, and she and Ruth went back to Israel. Now, I want to say something real quick. About a year and a half ago, I was having a conversation. After teaching a class, a gentleman asked me a question. He said, there was a discussion going on, and the gentleman said, what's wrong with a lady asking a guy out? What's wrong with a lady initiating the relationship? He wanted that, you know. So it was like, what's wrong with that, you know? So, I, And this was my response. And again, before I, I say that, I want to say this respectfully. Listen, like I mentioned last month, do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do, okay? Forget about tokes. If God tells you, do X, Y, and Z, do X, Y, and Z, okay? I want to share that first. So my response to the gentleman, I said, I said, well, if God has called the man and the woman to be together, if God has spoken to them however he does to them and they believe that they're supposed to be together. I said, technically, it doesn't really matter because they're supposed to be together anyway. That's what I said. Now, let me finish. I said, if God has said they're supposed to be together and she makes the first move to the person that God has already told her and him, they are aware. I said, 
technically it doesn't make too much of a difference. However, and I've said this, if that happens, there will be the tendency that if she initiated the relationship, there is the tendency that she'll probably initiate a whole other things in the relationship, which can cause friction between them, which can cause her to resent him because she feels like he is not stepping up to do what he needs to do, and he can feel uh, resentment because he feels like she's emasculating him. So the long and short of the story is I encourage him, you know, you, you try and make the move. Nevertheless, the story of Ruth is a story that I've heard people in the past, usually when people argue for the woman can make the move first, the woman can speak first. Usually, as far as I know, this is the story that is used because of what happened between you know, Ruth going to Boaz and all that kind of stuff. And I understand that argument, so to speak. But like I said last month, one of the reasons why some people make poor decisions in relationships is because they start from the wrong place. What I said was, if there is a checklist, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, that you have to check before you decide whether or not you want to be in a relationship, some people start with number six, ignoring one, two, three, four, five. My point is, let's go back to the story and find out, is that really what happened? Did Ruth really speak to Boaz first? The argument starts in Ruth chapter 3. But let's back up and start in Ruth chapter 2. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 5, Boaz noticed Ruth first. He went to his field and he saw her, and he called one of his boys, and he was like, yo, who's that chick? I'm sorry, who's that godly woman, that virtuous woman, that woman of God, who is that? And the guy said, oh, that's Ruth. In verse 8, he took the second step that some guys don't take. Step 1, he noticed her. Step 2, he spoke to her. He came to Ruth, and he spoke to her. He noticed her first. He spoke to her first. Ruth chapter 2, verse 14. He had lunch with her. He invited her. In fact, in Ruth 2, 14, he says, Come, dip your bread in my wine. Eat. He had lunch. So, Boaz already moved first. He saw her first. He talked to her first. And he had lunch with her first. So they had some kind of rapport. They had some kind of connection. In Ruth chapter 2 verse 10, Ruth said, How come you noticed me, knowing that I'm a foreigner? How have I found favor in your eyes? After that, after she met Boaz and they ate, Boaz encouraged her to hang around the girls that worked for him. And he's told them not to uh, harass her and... She needed to um, work in his field. He encouraged her not to go anywhere else because she could be attacked. So he was demonstrating protection over her. And everything was cool. And the Bible says she continued to work for him. Now, let's backtrack a little bit. At the end of Ruth chapter 1, we find out that when Ruth and Naomi came back from Moab, they came to Israel at the beginning of barley harvest. Timing. She came in at a specific time. Barley harvest. Spring time. It's my understanding it's called the month of Nisan in the Jewish calendar. It's between March and April. What month are we right now? Okay, between March and April, she came to Bethlehem, she came to, Jew, to, to Israel, and she met Boaz at the beginning of barley harvest where she was working on the field. The Bible says she worked there throughout to the end of the barley harvest through the wheat harvest. The barley harvest Springtime, the month of Nisan, is around the Passover. 
She worked past that time through the wheat harvest, which is known as Pentecost. Okay? The wheat harvest, the time period is between May and June. So, Ruth saw Boaz for about three or four months. This is just chapter one and chapter two. If you are not cognizant of that, it's easy to think they met each other and got married in four days. One day for each chapter. But that's not what happened. There was a time period that they were around each other. So in chapter 2, the end of chapter 2, it lets us know that she was there. She worked for him through the end of the barley harvest and through the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Then in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, one day, tiny, which means between chapter 1 and 3, Time had passed. I don't know how long. I don't know if it's the day after the wheat harvest. I don't know if it's several months away. But the point is, there were a few months before the story in chapter 3. So she's met this guy. In chapter 3, her mother-in-law Naomi tells her, Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. Some translations say guardian redeemer. Some translations say a close relative. This person was responsible to rescue a family member in trouble. For example, if a family member had debt or they have property, the kinsman redeemer was responsible to redeem the property or buy it back or you know, get them out of trouble. That's what the kinsman redeemer was, was for. So Naomi found out that Boaz was a kinsman redeemer. So she told Ruth, hey, he's a, you know, because she had property and her sons and, and, and husband had died and they needed somebody to be able to get them back and possibly marry Ruth because that was part of what the Redeemer did. So she told Ruth. Ruth didn't tell her this. She told Ruth, I know where Boaz stays. Why don't you dress up and go to where he is? Do not reveal yourself to him. After he has finished eating and drinking, then go quietly and lay, uncover his feet and lay beside him. That was a gesture to really say, hey, I want you to be my kinsman redeemer. I want you to marry me, pretty much. That was kind of the overview of what that gesture meant. And Ruth told the mom, I will do everything you told me. Ruth didn't wake up one morning and just decide to go to Boaz. She was responding to what her mother-in-law instructed her to do. So she goes there in Ruth chapter 3. She sees where Boaz is, and she lay down when he went to sleep. She lay down beside him. She uncovered his feet. The Bible then says that at midnight, tiny, some translations say in the middle of the night, Boaz was startled. Some say he was surprised. He was startled. He turned. <coughs> And there was a woman by his feet. Okay. Ruth did not go beside a guy that she doesn't know. A guy that she has no connection with. A guy that she has no rapport with. Ruth went to a guy because, number one, she was instructed to. And she went to somebody that already knows her. Someone who already has, she has favor with. Someone she already has a connection with. Nevertheless, she did not wake him up. She did not wake him up. That's why she goes quietly and she lays down by him. He was the one at a specific time that woke up. Ladies. Yes, you can be around a guy that you like. Yes, you can dress up and be around a guy. You can be in position, but he has to wake up to see you. And I'm taking for granted this is a guy that already knows you. A guy that has drank coffee with you. Doesn't have to drink coffee. I'm just using that as an example. A guy that is aware of your presence. A guy that you have some kind of rapport with. 
That is the kind of person Ruth went beside. Nevertheless, he had to wake up. Because many a woman are around gentlemen, are around men that they like, that they are interested in, but she has to wake up. At a certain, she didn't wake him up. At a certain time, he woke up, he was startled, and the Bible said he turned, which means he was facing a different direction. You might be around a guy, but if he's not looking your way, don't force the issue. He has to wake up. He has to turn. He has to look at you, and he has to open his mouth like Boaz and say, who are you? And the Bible said, so she answered. Every step of the way, Ruth did not make the first move. Boaz saw her first in chapter 2, spoke to her first in chapter 2, had lunch with her first in chapter 2. Chapter 3, she goes to him, but he's not aware of it. He wakes up himself. He turns and he says something to her. Consequently, she responded. Now, ladies, when the guy now opens his mouth and asks you, what's the deal? Do not respond with, I don't know. <laughs> Boaz asked Ruth, who are you? I am Ruth. Marry me. She didn't say it that way, but I am Ruth. I want you to be my kinsman. She was clear of why she was there. And Boaz responded and said, you are even better than you were when I first met you because you did not chase after men. Whether young, oh, I'm sorry, whether uh, poor or rich. Boaz said it himself. Boaz is telling us, no, Ruth didn't move on me first. She doesn't chase men. Nevertheless, she tells Boaz, I want you to be my kinsman redeemer. And Boaz says, everything that you said, I'll do. However, there is somebody who is ahead of me, and I need to talk to him first. And Ruth said, no problem, and she left. In Ruth chapter 4, that's when we hear about Boaz meeting the other redeemer. See, the way it works was when a brother died without having kids, the closest relative is responsible to redeem the properties and whatever they had. Boaz was a close relative. He was a guardian redeemer, but there was somebody ahead of him. It's kind of like there was a priority list. And Boaz was second on that list. There was somebody ahead of him who was supposed to redeem the property first. So Boaz goes to this guy in Ruth chapter 4. Boaz goes to this guy. Verse 4, he tells the guy, hey, there's a, we have our relative Elimelech. He died and he's left some property and um, you are first in line to redeem it. Would you redeem the property? The guy said, yeah, I got this. He said, yes. Then he said, in addition to that, you are supposed to marry Ruth. And he said, in that case, I don't want it. You have it. Which means the reason Ruth ends up with Boaz is because she was rejected. The reason Ruth ends up with Boaz is because she was rejected. And I know that Boaz is a representation for a lot of Christian women of a godly man. And some of you may be wondering, what happened? Why? Why doesn't he want me? And God is saying, because that's not the guy I have for you. Now, in Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 to 9, Deuteronomy chapter 25 Verses 5 to 9. It says, if two brothers lived in the same house, and if one of them died and he was married, if he died 
without living children, the other brother is supposed to marry the wife, to continue the lineage. And the child that is birthed from the union, the first child that is birthed from the union of the brother with the widow, will continue the lineage of the dead brother. And it goes on to say, if the guy refuses to do it, then the woman, the widow, will take his sandals, take him to the elders, take his sandals, and spit in his face. Okay? Go back, going back to Ruth chapter 4. When the close relative told Boaz, after Boaz said, you have to marry Ruth, he said, okay, that's fine. I'm not going to redeem it. You go ahead and redeem it. If you read the story, you hear about the sandals were exchanged. He took his sandals off. It doesn't say anything about him being spat on his face, and I wondered about that. I'm wondering if for whatever reason they forgot to put that there, or perhaps because the story was slightly different. Because in Deuteronomy 25, 5-9, to it talks about two brothers in the same house. In this case, he is not a brother. He's like maybe a cousin or maybe an uncle or a relative. Okay, maybe that's why it's different. However, if the same thing happened and they just didn't mention it, that means this guy would rather they spit in his face than marry Ruth. Why? Ladies, have you ever felt that way? Like, like this guy just detests me so much? And you wonder, what's wrong with me? And I want to encourage you that it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. If there's anything wrong, it's probably with the guy. Because you know who Ruth is. And the bottom line is, if that's what God has to do, to make sure you end up with the guy he has for you, so be it. This other guardian redeemer that we don't know about, just looking at him a little bit kind of gives us an idea of why God allows some women to be rejected in order to get to the man that he has for them. This guardian redeemer, he wants her property but he doesn't want her. Ladies, are you familiar with guys, some guys that want your property, but they don't want you? They want your body, but they don't want you. They want your benefits, but they don't want you. They want your cooking, but they don't want you. They want your caress. They want your kisses. They want your hugs. They want your intimacy, but they don't want you. But God uses rejection to get you from a guy like that to a guy who wants all of you. All of you. This guardian redeemer, his name is not mentioned. And because his name is not mentioned, we don't know what he is called. He is a picture of a man who has no calling, no direction, no purpose. God uses rejection to get you from a man who has no direction, no purpose, no calling to a guy who has a calling, a guy who has a name, who has a calling, who has direction, who has a job like Boaz did. I'm not saying you're going to end up with a very wealthy person, <laughs> but I'm saying you're going to end up with a godly man. And sometimes, to be fair, not every guy is, has no direction. Not every guy is selfish. Not every guy is um, trying to take advantage of you. There are guys that uh, are good guys. You know, this close relative, he, we don't know his name, but he was in Boaz's family. He had to be a man of means in order to be able to even redeem the property in the first place. He was family to Boaz. He was an Israelite, and the Israelites in the Old Testament were the people of God. So he's a child of God. He's like Boaz. He is close to Boaz. He's a close relative, but he is not Boaz. Sometimes, ladies, you meet a guy who is a child of God. You meet a guy who looks like what you've been praying for. We live at a time that is difficult 
it's difficult to find a godly man. And when you do find a godly man, there's the tendency to think he must be the one. But a lot of times the first Christian man that you bump into is not necessarily your man. And that's why the rejection takes place. God is saying, yeah, he's a godly man. Yeah, he's good, but he's not for you. I got somebody better for you, someone who fits you better. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 11, Boaz had mentioned, I'm sorry, Ruth 3.11. Boaz had mentioned to, the, um, to Ruth after she met him, she said, he said, the people in, in the town know that you're a virtuous woman. The people in the town know that you're a virtuous woman, which means this guy knew she was a virtuous woman, but he still didn't want her. Have you ever felt like that way, ladies? You know you're a virtuous woman. You know you love the Lord. You know you're doing right. You know you're living right. Yet, some Christian men don't want you. And you ask yourself, what's going on? Goes back to God saying, I got somebody better fit for you. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 10, when Boaz first saw Ruth, when he first approached her, he told her, he said, she, she responded, she said, how come you noticed me? I'm a foreigner. How have I found favor in your eyes? And Boaz responded by saying, because I heard how you treated your mother-in-law. Not her mother, her mother-in-law who had a temper tantrum coming back from Moab. He said, I heard how you treated your mother-in-law and how you left your father and your mother to come to a land and be with people that you do not know. He told her he heard about it. Doesn't it remind you of Abraham? When God told him, leave your family to a land that I will show you. One of the reasons why some people do not receive the things God has for them, whether it's your destiny, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a breakthrough, whether it's a blessing, they are not willing to leave whomever or wherever God has told them to leave. It's not because God doesn't love your family. It's not because God doesn't care. But there comes a point when you have to get to a point where you're like, you know what? I love you, mom. I love you, dad. I love you, brother. I love your sister. I love your cousin. But I feel like this is what God, God has called me to do. I'm going to do it. Now, in Ruth's case, it wasn't that in, in the context of morality. She was a Moabite. The, Moab, the Moabites were idolatrous. They, they lived an immoral lifestyle, and getting away from that was part of the process. She was really saying, I'm living that, and I'm coming to have a relationship with God. But even more than that, when Boaz said, I heard how you left your mom and your dad to be part of people that you do not know. Could it be that when Boaz said that, he was saying, you remind me of my mother. You remind me of my mother, Rahab. I think we first hear about her in Joshua chapter 2. She was the woman that made it possible for the Israelites to take Jericho. She was the prostitute, Rahab. And Rahab, like Ruth, left Jericho. But unlike Ruth, she took her mom and her dad and some of her family members, and became part of the Israelite community. So in a sense, Ruth even did even more than his mom did. But when Boaz said, I know how you left, it's like Boaz is saying, I can relate with you. The reason why, ladies, that sometimes you get rejected by certain guys is because God is trying to get you from a guy who cannot relate with you on any level to a guy who can relate with you. The other guy who didn't want Ruth 
He said the reason why is because it would ruin his own, his own inheritance. Basically, that meant that his name is not going to be continued in the line. It's going to be the dead brother that he's, you know, he's redeeming her for. But apparently, Boaz didn't care. But check this out. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, we hear that Boaz and Ruth gave birth to a guy named Obed. They were listing the genealogy. Now, based on the guy's argument, the name that's supposed to be listed is supposed to be the dead guy. But apparently, even though the, 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 the law was you're raising offspring for the dead guy, the Bible still lists Boaz's name, meaning it doesn't really matter. When God has got it, it doesn't matter. So ladies, I want to encourage you that regardless of who may have said no to you, God is just using it as a way to get you to the guy he has for you. Now to the fellas. I know that every guy doesn't have Every guy is not irresponsible. I know, in fact, the fact that we have some guys here lets me know you guys have direction. You have purpose. Ladies, give a round of applause to the gentlemen who are here tonight. You guys have a good head on your shoulders. Some of you guys, you have a sense of purpose. You have a sense of direction. You love the Lord. But the fact remains that we all still got rejected. I am happily married to this beautiful woman here. Dana, she is my wife. Would you please stand up and say hello to everyone? She is a blessing. And rejection was one of the ways, a major way that God got me to her. I don't know when it happened. I don't know how it happened. But one day I woke up, I turned, and I was like, wow. And I said, who are you? But let's go to Esther. If Boaz is for the guys, then Esther is a good example. I mean, if Boaz is for the ladies, then Esther is a good example for the guys. In Esther chapter 1, we hear of King Ahasuerus. That's the Hebrew version. That's why you see that name in King James or New King James. Ahasuerus. But the Greek version of that name is Xerxes. The Bible tells us about a guy named Xerxes. He was ruler. He ruled from, he ruled 127 provinces. I don't know exactly what that means, but it gives us an idea. He ruled all the way from India to Ethiopia, all that region. He was in charge. He threw a party for everybody. He threw a party for his officers, his officials, the nobles, he was throwing a party for 180 days. 180 days. This guy was a party animal. He threw a party for them. After that party, he threw another party for seven days in the city of Susa. He threw the party not just for the great, but for the little. Everybody. He threw a party for everybody. While he's throwing a party for everybody, we hear that his wife is throwing a party for the women. Okay? He is throwing a banquet for everybody. His wife, Vashti, is doing a banquet for the women. Then it talks about how he was in good spirits because of the wine, which some suggest he was drunk. And he asked, for his wife, the queen, Vashti, to come to his banquet so that he can display her before everyone to show her beauty. And the Bible says she refused. She rejected him. She rejected it. Ruined his party. He was upset. He was furious. Esther 1, 13 and 14 it's actually before that, but in verse 13 and 14, he was depressed, he was upset, he was angry. And he called seven of the wisest men in his kingdom. 
seven men that helped him make decisions about the law, about justice. He went to them. These seven men are a picture of wisdom. Guys, a lot of times we don't use wisdom when choosing women. And that's why sometimes we need to get rejected. And the rejection is designed to get us to wisdom. The seven men that he got counsel from, the Bible says they were the wisest men in his vicinity. And this is why I say they are a picture of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 1 says, Wisdom has built her house. She has set up her seven pillars. Some translations say seven columns. These guys in the book of Esther, there were seven of them and they were wise men. It's a picture of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 7. Proverbs 4 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Now, the question is, how do I get wisdom? How do I receive wisdom? Proverbs chapter 2 verse 6 answers that question. Proverbs chapter 2 verse 6 says, God gives wisdom. Out of his mouth, his word, comes knowledge and understanding. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. He says, Jesus Christ is the wisdom and power of God. Six verses later, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, he says, Christ, Jesus, has been made unto us wisdom righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Simply put, the word is wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. When we get rejected, we need to go to wisdom. We need to go to God. We need to go to God's face, not face book. <laughs> The king was upset and he went to wisdom to get some counseling. He didn't go to Facebook to be canceling people there to air his anger. He went to wisdom. The woman caught in the act of adultery when she was dragged from the wrong guy. She was thrown to wisdom, Jesus the wisdom and power of God. Wisdom set her free. By the time wisdom opened his mouth, the guys walked away. Wisdom spoke, and the guys were like, uh, they dropped their stones, and they walked away. Wisdom is God using rejection to get you to him. Rejection doesn't know that until rejection finds out, oh, I've been used. <laughs> so the guy, the king tells the guys, what's up? And the king, the guys, Memucan was one of the seven wise men. He spoke up. He said, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to banish Ashtai from the throne. Let her not show up in the throne evermore and look for somebody better than her. Then he said, write a law that all the wives should respect their husbands, okay? That's what wisdom told, told King Xerxes. And the Bible says he agreed to it. Esther chapter 1. Esther chapter 2. It starts off by saying, when his anger had subsided, he thought about Vashti and, and the law. Then in verse 4, it says, his attendants told him, why don't you look for young virgins in your region so that we can find another wife for you? Okay? Isn't that what wisdom already told him in chapter 1? Didn't wisdom, didn't those guys tell him, find somebody else to be queen and write a law? We know he wrote the law, 
But in chapter 2, we find out he hasn't looked for the women until his attendants remind him of what wisdom says. Move on. Wisdom says, find somebody else. They reminded him, look, go and look for, look at all the women around, gather them around. I'm going to search, then find another queen. So I'm thinking, they already told him that in chapter 1. He did one of the things that the, the, his counselor told him, but he didn't do the other one until chapter 2. What happened? What happened was what is mentioned in the first verse of chapter 2. It says, when his anger subsided, he stopped being angry. That's a picture of forgiveness. It's a picture of letting it go. Until you let it go, you can't be searching for anybody else. Until you stop being angry about what happened before, God cannot release somebody to you. You have to let it go so that God can let her or him come. Until then, nothing's going to happen. In Esther chapter 1, verse 3, when we are introduced to Xerxes, we are told that that was the third year of his rulership. He had been ruling for three years. Esther chapter 2, verse 16, lets us know when Esther became queen in his seventh year, seventh year, she became queen. If you read the verses in Esther chapter 2, you're going to learn that it takes 12 months for the women to be prepared before they see the king. So at least a year before they see the king. Which means that for about two to three years, this guy was still upset. He was still tripping. He was still devastated about what happened to him. Then he let it go. Then they began to search. I don't know how long that took, but once they found the women, they had to wait a year before they came to the king. And of course, Esther won the favor of everyone that saw her, including the king. Now, I've heard relationship experts and counselors say that once you go through a divorce, for example, or a breakup, uh, a devastating breakup, um, it might take maybe at least two years just to get over it. So in a sense, I guess the time it took for him to move on is not, I guess, not too far-fetched. Okay? But here's the point. You got to let it go. You got to let it go so that God can let him or her come. This book is called the book of Esther. But it starts with Vashti in chapter 1. Esther and Vashti kind of represents the two kinds of women a lot of us guys deal with. A lot of guys want Vashti. Esther doesn't start out as Esther. She starts out as Hadassah. Okay? So it's called the book of Esther, but Vashti overshadows her right from the beginning. A lot of us guys, we go into a room, we want the Vashtis. Vashti means beautiful. Hadassah is derived from the Hebrew hadas, which means myrtle, a plant called myrtle. It's my understanding that if you take the leaves of this plant, you crush it and you squeeze it, it gives, a, it gives off a fragrance. Which means you need to spend some time with this plant to figure out this plant has an aroma, a fragrance. But a lot of us, a lot of us guys are not willing to do that. We want the woman that stands out immediately, the Vashtis, the beautiful women, the models, we don't use wisdom. 
and we jump out there and go for the Vashtas. All this time, Hadassah is there. We see Hadassah has Hadassah, but we don't know she's really Esther. Esther means star. The first time you hear of Vashtai, you hear royalty. She's the queen. First time you hear of Hadassah, you hear tragedy. She lost her parents. She's an orphan. She was raised by her cousin. It's not appealing. There are a lot of great, good godly women out there that a lot of us guys overlook because they're not appealing to you the first time you see them. You're going to give them a chance. You don't talk to them, but you go for the Vashtais. But God uses rejection to get you to wisdom. <laughs> the rejection from Vashtai who blows you off to get some wisdom. I say, okay, God, what's going on here? What's happening? And God directs you to Esther. All beautiful people are not stars, but all stars are beautiful. God uses rejection, guys, to get us from a woman who ruins our parties <laughs> to a woman that make you party. Esther chapter 2, verse 18, he threw a party when he made Esther the queen, and he called it Esther's banquet. And after Esther went on a fast to find favor in his eyes, she threw two more parties for him. How do you find a woman like that? It's difficult. We're not smart enough, so God uses rejection to help us out. <laughs> when you get rejected by a few Vashtas, you're like, okay, maybe I'm looking at the wrong place. And God says, okay, you're ready. Hadassah is actually Esther. Spend time with her, and you find out there's more to her that meets the eye. The king uses resources for a year to beautify Esther. I'm like, man. And when she showed up, he was mesmerized. Everyone be encouraged. Whatever you went through, God is using it to get you to someone better. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message. We hope that you were informed, inspired, and impacted. O.J. Tokes has written a life-changing book titled Rejected for a Purpose, How God Uses Rejection to Help You Find and Fulfill Your Destiny. If you would like to learn more about the book, please visit ojtokesministries.org. That is ojtokesministries.org. If you like Christian inspirational hip-hop, check out O.J. Tokes' Christian inspirational hip-hop album, A Breath of Fresh Air, which is now available on iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, and other music outlets. You can also learn more about his music by going to ojtokesministries.org. Thanks again for listening to the message. Take care and stay blessed.